now and then, here and there, and always at sexpotcomedy.com. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Story Welcome to the Narrator's Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Hey there, it's Ron. I got a chance to attend the San Diego show this week and share a story. That back room at Tiger Tiger is incredible. It's just such a perfect, intimate space for the show. If you live in Southern California and you haven't had a chance to check it out, do it. Don't wait. The place was already packed and you could just tell it's only going to get bigger. Our next show is on Wednesday, December 16th at Bumpport Theater in Denver. The theme of the evening will be siblings and sadly, it's our last show of 2015. But have no fear, we'll be back in 2016 and for the first time ever, we've announced an entire year's worth of themes in advance. So please go visit thenarrators.org and check out the list. As always, we love hearing from you folks out there in podcast land. And if you want to get us a gift for Christmas, please consider taking a moment to rate this podcast on iTunes. It only takes 15 seconds, but it really does help our ranking there. Today's story comes from AJ Pape. AJ's story was recorded live on November 18th, 2015 at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. The theme of the evening was, if you can't, say something nice. Thank you. So, yeah, this is my first time here, and um, I'm shitting my pants, so I thought I would just share that with you guys metaphorically. We have had some beautiful, I think, body products featured tonight. Um, I actually want to tell you guys a story about uh, probably the lowest point of my whole life. And I was parked outside the L.A. coroner's office with two guns in my car to kill myself. Now, you might think, how is this going to end? Um, That's one of the weird things about a first-person story about people who have these moments of, you know, wanting to kill oneself is you kind of know how it's going to turn out. But um, it was weird to me to think about what story did I want to tell tonight because this I'm at a point in my life where I'm so glad to be alive and I'm so fucking stoked on living in Colorado and not living in L.A. And... um, I actually got a cancer diagnosis. Don't worry, this, it, it gets even more fun and exciting as we go. Um, although my whole family wasn't killed. We, don't, we heard about that earlier. Um, so one of the things that I took on, um, my friend said, hey, if you want to get better from cancer, you better get really clear about why you want to be alive. And I thought, I know why I want to be alive. I want to be alive because I want to be with groups of people and tell stories that are fun and interesting and um, This is the story that I most wanted to tell tonight. So I'm parked outside the L.A. coroner's office because in my insane frame of mind that I was in at the time, completely depressed, but also Canadian and fairly considerate and like... (laughs) And I've... You know, this, this is the thing about depression. Like, if anybody's ever been through depression, you don't have a lot of other stuff to distract you from how you want to die. Uh, it's pretty clear why you want to die, because anything, like, oh, look at that Q-tip, see, fuck it, I should just kill myself, <laughs> and, which is really, I don't know if anybody here has been in depression, but that's sort of how it is for me, it's like, you know, two plus two equals four, anything plus anything equals, yeah, I should just fucking kill myself, but I kept thinking, you know, I'm living in my friend Andy's, uh, back 
bedroom apartment, and it would be so lame of me to kill myself in the apartment. And then Andy's like, oh, dude, fucking thank you. Thank you so much. Like, first of all, you kill yourself, and now I have to clean it up and deal with everything. And even though I sorted all your mail while you're on a business trip to London and confess that I enjoyed it, I probably don't want to deal with your dead body in the back apartment. And so in my mind, I was like, this is, this is the way to do it. And I would literally visualize, I'd be like, what if I got like a pile of sand and then I would like absorb the blood and I could have like a plastic liner around it and it would be like a little to-go cup for like my blown out skull. And is, wouldn't that be the nicest way? And I was like, you know what? Now I have the answer. I know exactly how to do this. I'll do it at the coroner's office and they'll be like, oh yeah, dead guy blew his brains out. We don't even have to drive anywhere. This is awesome. Thank you, Mr. Considerate Suicide Victim. Um, and yet, uh, as you might be intimating, I did not actually do that. Uh, and thank you very much. Thank you. Pretty sweet. Thank you. And um, the weird thing is, like, that wasn't even, that was probably the worst it got, but that wasn't the first time I was ever really suicidal. I remember um, I was living, this was about 2012 that I'm telling you about. I was living in San Francisco, newly married, new baby, also interesting birth experience. I think all these stories probably will weave together by the last teller. No pressure. Uh, you do have to get the chicken and waffles in, though, to get the prize. Um, so it was about 2001. We had a beautiful brand-new baby daughter, and I had a depression off and on in my life, but this was a situation where uh, my girlfriend and I got engaged six months after we met. PSA, you might want to wait a little longer. Uh, we got engaged about, we got pregnant about 30 seconds after we got engaged. And then we got married like a year after we had met, and then our daughter was born like four months after that. So it was all just incredibly fast. And very quickly after that, I lost my job, and we were in this tiny one bedroom apartment with this tiny baby, and I got into a brutal depression. And God bless my then wife and now good friend. She was like, this is fucking horrible. Like, I have this baby and I'm sleep deprived and my husband's depressed and can't do anything except sit on the couch. And we live in this tiny one bedroom apartment, which is like this pressure cooker of angst. And she finally was like, listen, I see that you are having trouble and I got it that you're stuck. But I have a baby and I need to get the fuck out of here and go back and live with my mom. And so in the brutal depression, in the brutal logic of depression, I was like, this is perfect. Now they're gone back to L.A. Now I can kill myself. And um, I mean, it's a little spine tingling for me to even say that, but that was literally the logic of depression. And so um, now, again, being Canadian, I didn't really grow up with guns. I wasn't like, I'll take grandpa's old hunting rifle and, you know, do the family deed like all the men in my family. No, I mean, we just. We're just nice and sort of suffer in silence because if you don't have anything nice to say and you're Canadian, you don't say anything. Um, so I went through the weird experience of like reading a little booklet to get permission to buy a gun. And I was like, that doesn't seem like a very high bar. That's, shouldn't this be, shouldn't they want to know like, hey, um, were you at all thinking of killing yourself or anything? Or like, do you ever get enraged at people in airports? Yes and yes. Okay, I'm sorry, you cannot have a gun. No. All I really had to do was memorize, like, don't point it at people, assume it's loaded, uh, don't shoot at somebody in front of someone else, these little things. And they were like, all right, you're set. You can have a gun. And I was like, wow, America. 
So I had this gun, I'm in this brutal depression, and I'm carrying it around San Francisco in my backpack on the Muni bus like it's some sort of security blanket. Like the pain of my life gets so completely intolerable that I have to stop feeling pain no matter what right away. I have a way that I can stop this pain. But until then, I'm going to go to the movies. So I go see K-Pax. Has anybody ever seen this? Kevin Spacey? All right. So whether you are incredibly depressed or not, this is a fucking intense movie. Kevin Spacey's entire family has been like slaughtered in this house of blood, and that, which we get a nice visual flashback to, but he thinks he's this alien. And weirdly for me, and actually cathartically in a life-saving way, I'm watching Kevin Spacey go through his intense trauma and realize that he thinks he's an alien because his whole family were killed and he encounters their brutalized dead bodies. And it's coming back to me that actually um, I suffered really fucking brutal, intense abuse as a kid, like shit that no kid should ever experience. And at some weird level, as a little powerless, I don't know if I was three or four, I couldn't stop what was happening to me, but I made some kind of sacred deal that I would never, ever do this to anybody else, what was happening to me. And that was some psychic survival mechanism. Like, I can't stop what's being done to me, but I can promise the universe I will never do this. And I'm watching this fucking Kevin Spacey movie, Kevin Spacey movie, and I've got this gun in my knapsack, and I'm sitting in the theater, and I start to think, if I kill myself, I'm never going to hurt this baby daughter that I have. I'm never going to become that abuser like happened to me. And it's all this weird sense of connecting dots. And rationally, I'm going, this is fucked up. But emotionally, I'm going, I kind of get this. Like, yeah, if I killed myself, I make sure that I keep this sacred vow with the universe that I'm never going to hurt somebody like I got hurt. And I went to my best friends and I said to them, listen, I've got this gun. This is fucking crazy. I shouldn't be having a gun. I shouldn't kill myself. I just need to get help. And um, so luckily I got help. I went to treatment for my depression and um, told everybody that Kevin Spacey saved my life. <laughs> and uh, the minute I got to treatment, we sit in this big circle and all the like patients or clients or, or whatever we were called. And they're like, and now the lead patient is going to lead the circle discussion. And I was like, oh, fuck, there's a hierarchy. That's me, motherfuckers. I am going to be, I am going to like win at rehab. I'm going to be the president of this motherfucker. I'm going to come out of rehab like fucking Bill Clinton winning the presidency. And uh, I did eventually become president of rehab. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. So the difficult thing about depression, though, is it can persist. And so to cut to the chase, um, many years later, I was mega fucking depressed again in L.A., and I was like, all right, I can't stand the pain of being alive and dealing with depression. And I really, I'm really going to kill myself. And so I don't know why I had two guns. I am <laughs> thorough and I do like to, I'm a little bit perfectionist. Um, but I'm not really sure what the action steps were with the second gun. But I'm there parked outside the, uh, the L.A. coroner's office. It's pretty good parking there, which is, which is handy in L.A. And suddenly... What comes to me is this image of my daughter, who by now is probably like eight years old or so. And I think of her, for some reason, in this building called Witherspoon Hall, which was a residence where I went to college. And I'm imagining a conversation 
where the subject of fathers comes up. Or maybe the subject of depression uh, or suicide. And I'm picturing her kind of wringing her hands and looking up at the ceiling. And what can she say? Can she say, oh, well, my, my dad killed himself when I was you know, seven or eight years old. And so I decided not to do that. And um, I didn't want her to be stuck in the position of having nothing nice to say. Thank you. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Aaron Rollman, Mary Robertson, and me, Ron Doyle. I produce and record the podcast with engineering assistance by Josh Johnson. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. The Narrators podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. The next time you need a photographer, remember From the Hip Photo. You can learn more about their honest and unforgettable service at fromthehipphoto.com. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by Breckenridge Brewery, making balanced, approachable, and interesting handcrafted beers in Colorado for over 25 years. Check them out at breckbrew.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or on your favorite mobile podcatcher. For more information and to find past episodes, visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Womp, womp, womp.